Thanksgiving, a time to stop, reflect, and give thanks. Sorry, pal. Thanksgiving is over. Coming Saturday, November 29th. What is that? A monster turkey? Zack, AP, let's ranger off! Ranger Command faces a new powerful foe. <laughs> and help comes from an unlikely source. Hey guys, look over there! Aya! Another ranger? But whose side is he on? Alright, now it's my turn! Who is this new ranger? Will this new ranger's help be enough? Or will they need more? Find out on the next episode of Ranger Command Power Hour on rangercommand.com and the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Hi, Eric here from Socially Awkward Studios and Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We hope you're going to enjoy this Four-Eyed Radio presentation. For more shows and podcasts, visit foureyedradio.com. While you're at it, why don't you visit HerMajesty'sPod.com slash contest and enter the 007 Holiday Returns Contest. That's right, we all get presents we just don't want. We want to take them back. Well, that happens with movies, too. And there's always something you want to take back from a Bond movie. Just one little thing that you would change if you could. Tell us all about it and win some fabulous 007 prizes right from the 4-Eyed Radio Network. Go to HerMajesty'sPod.com slash contest for all the details. Hey there, Eric here from Socially Awkward Studios, and this 4-Eyed Radio presentation is being proudly brought to you by Raven Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit ravencruise.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by Raven Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit ravencruise.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Starfleet Escape Podcast. This is episode number 50. And today we have a few guests to talk about Enterprise in Space. Our first guest is Sean Case, who is the founder of the Enterprise in Space program and the program manager. And we also have Lynn Zalinski, who is a retired physics teacher of 32 years and is the Enterprise in Space education program manager. And finally, Larry Nemechek, who is the promotions manager, and he's also a respected author, editor, and a genre expert of the Star Trek franchise. So welcome, everyone. Yeah, well, Thank respected you. by most. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of guys out there that know. No, thank you. Thank you, uh, Aaron, for having us all on. Yeah, thank you for having us on. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Let's start with Sean. What made you decide to start this project? So four years ago, I was just flicking the channels on the TV, and uh, Star Trek came on, um, Next Generation. And I've been a Star Trek fan. I'm 54 years old, and I started watching the show when I was six. Um, so that uh, Star Trek Next Generation came on, and I was thinking to myself that uh, they had flown uh, Gene Roddenberry's ashes into orbit, um, or into space, excuse me but there had never been an Enterprise in orbit. 
So I started thinking about the technology about that and couldn't couldn't think of a reason why you couldn't do it. So it uh, started from started from watching Star Trek: The Next Generation. Then I just started reaching out to people and and putting together a team. And then I thought to myself, if you're going to do this, go through the work to do it. That it should be an actual science spacecraft, an actual orbiter, not not just a model or an inflatable. That it should be as a tribute to a uh, an enterprise that should be a working science enterprise. So, you know, it's not a, a gimmick just to put a model up. And so I started that and uh, over the course of four years was extremely lucky to get a lot of excitement and started working with the National Space Society to become a nonprofit project in the National Space Society, put together the team, that this awesome team that we have, and started reaching out to aerospace companies to start looking into the technology aspect of this. So that's how it originally started. Well, Sean, maybe it's time. Maybe we should say exactly what it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So the, so the mission itself is to put a enterprise orbiter, approximately eight feet, carrying hundreds or more uh, student experiments into physical orbit. The VSS Enterprise, Richard Branson's ship, is a suborbital ship. Unfortunately, they just had a crash. Uh, that's a suborbital one, and, and we're working on putting it up in orbit for at least a week to conduct the science experiments and then bring, then bring the ship back out of orbit using a couple of different methods to bring it back out of orbit, either thermal protection system material or a new balut technology, but that's, that's in the R&D phase. That's still in the R&D phase, which way we would go. So it either be like a traditional re-entry with a heat shield, or it would be this new balloon technology. Yeah. You know, if you think of the, the Enterprise space shuttle, never went into orbit. It was a, a drop test. Right. So the shuttle, though, it has the old ceramic tiles on there, and the technology has advanced so much further than that. Now they can mold thermal protection system right to the ship. The other one, the blue technology, is a... Relatively old technology, but there's still a lot of interest in it, NASA and uh, space companies. And there's things uh, called clamshell balloons. It's almost like an, an inflatable heat-shielding material that would inflate around the ship and protect it coming in. So there's different methods, and in, in the space uh, conceptual design firms would figure out which, which material would be the, the one to use. So, but that's all just one tiny aspect of the whole huge thing. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. I'm, I'm giving you piece by piece, and Larry helps guide me through the pieces that I'm missing. <laughs> well, the thing, yeah, the thing that's overwhelming about this is that it's it was Sean's like simple idea that has grown and grown and grown, and there's so many moving parts to it, and that's like there's this huge education component that Lynn is overseeing and her her great team, and then there's the actual hardware. And then there's the reaching out to people to be, you know, worldwide to be part of it, and which you guys are helping today. But anyway, I didn't mean to jump in there. I just um, sometimes because well, we've Sean's been working on this for four years. I've just been involved for a few months, but everybody has been, you know, it's only been publicly launched the last like month or so. So a lot of a lot of us are used to talking about this like we all know what we're doing. And we have to stop and go. Now wait a minute. Let's <laughs> let's bring all the new guys along on board here, so everybody knows. What we're doing. Well, speaking speaking of you know when it was founded and and it growing, how has it grown from the current state or from where it was when it was just an idea to where it is now? So uh, I just took the idea and then have been behind the scenes doing research and development with some aerospace companies. But importantly, we you know put the team together, wrote a business plan just to know. There's a famous quote by Warner von Braun that the paperwork has to equal the weight of the rocket. 
Uh, <laughs> right now, we could fill a room 8 by 12 right to the ceiling with, with the paperwork that's involved already. Wow. Uh, but, but importantly, you know, uh, we got Lynn on board. We got a gentleman named Fred Becker, our chief engineer, worked 30 years with NASA on the space shuttles, uh, Gravity B probe. Um, and his, one of his, not his ship, but one of the ships he worked on will reach Pluto next year, the New Horizons mission. Then we have two totally awesome project managers, Alice Hoffman, who's the director for the National Space Society, and she actually did the expansion of the Chicago Hare Airport for $6 billion. So hmm. these are people that are used to working on big projects. So from the development phase, when I first came up with the concept, to now four years, I, I have to say I've been working those four years, 15 hours a day with about a week off, a week and a half maybe. It's constantly on the phone, constantly generating support, constantly doing research and development, looking into new state-of-the-art materials, working with the team. The enthusiasm for it, um, mm -hmm. Just for the idea has has grown, and we're building our audience and our people. It's amazing. It's, it's still attractive. We just had a new, a completely new startup technology development company with their idea join in just a couple of weeks ago, which is exciting. Yeah, uh, we just recently had somebody join our team that is developing a cognitive computer. They worked with IBM for many years. But this is basically, without going into too much technical detail on it, it's basically like the computer on the Enterprise. Oh. It's not just a Siri that has, like, words recorded and can do a very simple... You know, yeah, it's, it's access. way more state-of-the-art than Siri. We've also gotten uh, Buzz Aldrin's endorsement, Hugh Downs' endorsement, Nichelle Nichols' endorsement for the project, and then just recently Rod Roddenberry's endorsement for the project. That's um, fantastic. As we're starting out. So it's you know a, a tribute to all science fiction greats, mm -hmm. um, but of course Gene Roddenberry in our book was one of the greatest, and this is a big tribute to Gene as well. Well, and, and a tribute to the future that that Gene and Asimov and Heinlein and all those guys that looked into the future, you know, dystopian and post-apocalyptic science fiction is is interesting and great drama and storytelling. But the people mm -hmm. that really get you know, the, the reason there's this mutual love affair between NASA and Star Trek is because everyone's about the hopeful future and going into space, and that's our future destiny. And, you know, why the hell can't we get there faster? <laughs> and that's what the National Space Society is about. And that's what, and that brings in, like, Lynn's department here, which is, which is the real inspirational part of the, there's the hardware part of the mission to make it happen, but the core reason for doing it that, that Sean came up with is reaching out to young minds and our future minds, and that's where Lynn is really. It's, it's also a tribute to the, the visionaries, the actual visionaries of spaceflight, the Robert Goddards and the Werner von Braun's mm -hmm. and you know, Elon Musk and, and, and all of those folks who are making it a reality. So we're actually trying to take the science fiction into the science fact and and transitioning. So some of the things that we are doing are really going to be the creation of real stuff, which is neat. The other tribute that Enterprise is doing is a tribute to all of the ships in history named Enterprise, both real and imagined. So that's a pretty neat concept because when you think about it all the way back to to the enterprises of the navy naval history and mm -hmm. balloons and aircraft. It's a, it, there are a lot of ships named Enterprise. The first one, United States ship, was 1775. Wow! Oh. And it was a French French ship, I think, right around that time as well. 
So it, uh, as Lynn said, it's a tribute to all Enterprise ships in history. Let us never forget <laughs> the and, famous quote. And that's what I liked about in the series Enterprise, those drawings on the wall that had the history of the ships named Enterprise. Yeah, so when I first started this, I, I was like, it's about time we put a ship bearing the name Enterprise in orbit. When I first started it, there was, well, there still is, but there's so much negativity in the world. So if you get a bunch of people with a positive outlook with the same goals of humanitarianism, of the future, of what we can really do in this world, and get them to donate $20 towards the project, we can fly. We'll be able to fly. So we're partly funding this through donations and through corporate sponsoring. It's okay. an, you know, it's. I'll, I'll tell you, it's an expensive project. I'll, I'll go. I'll tell you about this. It's. It. The total is uh, forty million. Wow. Which is a very expensive project. So to fund it uh, by the public alone, it would be two million people at twenty dollars. Right, but it's actually cheap by by normal standards. I mean, the, the the rocket that just blew up was you know well over a couple hundred million dollars. So you know, just the forty million that we're looking for is is really not a very high price ticket for what we're trying to do because we will be flying it hopefully as a secondary pay, payload on another ship. You know, our our commercial launcher. Uh, yeah, the commercial launcher of choice is SpaceX as a secondary payload mm. with them. But, you know, that, that of course, could change. But it really isn't, you know, all that expensive when you look at how much space programs truly cost. Yeah, my, my point on that is that, you know, in fandom and sci-fi, we're so used to looking at, you know, fan films and all these projects that have, oh, look, it's a half a million, oh, it's a hundred thousand, and and they make it or whatever, and and this blows people away until you stop and think, well, a, it is a space mission, really, right. not manned, but like Lynn said, it's it's far far cheaper than what a standard mission would be because Sean and everybody on the team have been partnering and talking with so many people who are giving us a break they're giving in kind the cost is way down the cost might even come down SpaceX is the preferred launch provider and they're you know Elon Musk is trying to get the cost per pound down even by the time we launch this which we haven't mentioned yet we're talking about four four years down the line so this is not tomorrow we're not trying to raise you know <laughs> and for forty million in five days or something, that'd be crazy. But when you break it down, like our project managers do in their professions, uh, Alice Hoffman and Buck Field, we have to mention them. They're professional project managers who've overseen huge projects, and Sean can talk about that. But it's when you break it down to the, the pieces and you get it down to the level of, hey, everybody, instead of going to that movie, send in twenty bucks, and you're not only helping the pro the project. And helping give these uh, these science project experiment winners a platform for their projects, over a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. What you actually get for yourself is you can say you're a virtual crew member on the ship because everybody who gives their twenty dollars, and that's all we're doing. We're not doing capital K Kickstarter or anything like that. It's just a simple. Everyone sends your twenty dollars. You get an immediate certificate, and eventually your name on a chip that flies on the craft. So part of the cool thing about coming back with it, aside from protecting, having science that can, can not just be, you know, like we, we monitored it for a week or two and then it burned up, or it's up there forever until the battery runs down, they bring it back. Part of the appeal of that is when it goes on tour and it's in a permanent location, a museum, mm -hmm. everybody can go and see their name and know that they actually were a virtual crew member. 
So it's you know it's like everybody jumping in, and it's worldwide. So if a, if two million people around the world can't send twenty dollars of the equivalent, you know, to to get excited about something and honor all their their favorite science fiction, and also take a step into the future like this, and be a virtual know. crew member on the first Enterprise. Yes, be a virtual <laughs> crew member. <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you just for a sec. When I first started this, I kind of wanted to send it out after Voyager into deep mm. space. Uh, um, and the the experts that I was that I was involved with and talking to at the time said, "Hey, that is going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars because the rocket has to be so powerful, and then you have to gravity assisted off of Mars and Jupiter, just like Voyager, and send it out into deep space." That that became an issue. <laughs> wow. Because uh, honestly, I was going to start this and see if you could get a hundred million people at a at a buck. But honestly, even for people to send in a dollar time-wise or putting a dollar on their credit card or something was more of a pain. Plus the aspect of bringing it back into orbit and putting it in a museum so their kids and grandkids could go to – we would go to the Smithsonian uh, Museum after an approval process. So then we could put a computer next to that, and then you can go in and you know take your kids there someday and type in your name and say, hey, I was part of this. I was, part, I was a virtual crew member on the first enterprise to go into orbit. And, That's pretty awesome. and they have ta- and Sean has talked to it's you know nothing is official or permanent but we're in right. talks to go with Smithsonian yes and or, or another major museum and there's quite a few that would be after this but the Smithsonian is our preferred choice I see to go to go actually to go next to the enterprise that's in the Smithsonian. Okay, so this once it comes back, you, there's no plans to relaunch with another set of experiments on it. If we're successful at this, there's no plans to relaunch this specific ship. Okay. But there might be plans to relaunch another ship. That the I, Enterprise A. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that for the moment. I mean, it really, w- it really would be cool to, you know, first you get the one in orbit, then you get the one that goes to the moon, and then you get the one that goes to an asteroid, and then you get the one that goes to Mars. So, I mean, it, it would be really nice to, you know, be able to do it step by step by step. So mm-hmm. we, we have to be successful with this one first um, <laughs> before I start another one, even though I've started thinking of a new concept for uh, a new project um, this one is – these projects are so intense and so much work. It's just focus on this and stick to this. Mm-hmm. Cost-wise, you know, uh, when we mention that it's $40 million, psychologically people think that they have to shell out $40 million out of their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case. It's individually $20 per person. We are looking at the possibility when we start working up the orbiter design of putting a window in the ship and maybe charging another 20 or another amount to send your picture up to the window, have a iPad or, or a tablet in the window, and you'd be able to wave from the ship, and we could stream that video back down to Earth. So, so I can actually have Eric Gallo or Eric Berry waving from the window of the Enterprise in space back down to Earth. Speaking of the orbiter, we have right now going on at this very minute an orbiter design contest. And that design contest is for anybody over the age of 18, and you don't have to be an engineer. You can just be an artist and show and share your designs with us. So, yeah, your dream, your idea of space flight, your very own enterprise idea. Uh, Just for people to know, we have $12 allocated to the ship itself. So that's the estimated cost to build it? That's the estimated cost to build it. All now, right. the, the biggest cost is in the actual uh, flight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that's roughly 16 million. But as as they were talking about, one of the goals of SpaceX, if we go with them, and they're preferred, I can't, you know, we're not guaranteed there. But one of his, you know, he's working really hard on getting to Mars. Um, and one right now it's ten thousand dollars a pound to fly something into space, mm-hmm. and he's working really hard with the new Grasshopper rockets and new technologies to lower the cost to five hundred dollars a pound. Well, that's um, significant. <laughs> So there's there's significant research going on to reduce the costs of flights into space. As we've been working on this, there's so many spin-offs, technological ones and and all kinds of things we can do that we have to control ourselves <laughs> and go, okay, we could just keep working on spin-offs. <laughs> uh, so we're trying to control what we can do. For example, we want to look at using new laser technology for communications. The, the space station sent a, a video down to Earth using new laser communications. So instead of using the radio waves, they're using laser with the information encoded in the light. So there's a whole bunch of, of new technologies we're looking at using, really state-of-the-art materials, graphene, and stuff that would either be incorporated into the ship or incorporated into some of Lynn's student science experiments. Yeah, which we hadn't even we haven't even talked about, and, and Lynn's project is not just running the contest for the science experiments, but also a big outreach to teachers, and and making you know kind of putting an affirmation here and just studying not just science. And she should she should talk about that. But the the basic thing that's that's grown is here. Sean started off with this idea. Oh, there should be an enterprise in space. Oh, it shouldn't be a stunt. It should have real science on it. And as this has grown, and they've been working on this for, like I said, three, four years, from mm-hmm. this concept to getting to the point where we just uh, got the National Space Society to, it was basically they had to vet it with them to take it on as a project and sponsor it legally, you know, and, and, and with the support of their logistics and infrastructure so Sean didn't have to go and do a whole legal framework and a financial, you know, if you're American, your donation of whatever size it is is tax deductible. You've got these these uh, corporations wanting to partner with us to, as a test bed for their technologies because it's a it's a great chance for them to do a demo basically before they go out and try to sell their you know their idea or their material or their process on some government contracts or private mm-hmm. contracts. And it was really important to me to go nonprofit. I didn't want to take money from the government unless you know I would only take money from NASA if they had something really specific that they want to study like the blue technology or some heat shielding material, mm-hmm. um, and they just gave us a small grant for that because, as you guys all know, NASA is already struggling for money. We should put more money into our NASA programs. Um, I think what's what's really kind of important here is that we want this to be a grassroots project designed and built basically by the people for the people of Earth, and that that concept just gives everybody a lot of ownership into the project itself, and I think that's what's truly wonderful about it. It's not some big company or some big millionaire. It's just us, regular old Joes and Susies, going out there and saying, this is ours. Yeah, so the fans themselves saying, saying, hey, I can, you know, the $20 is the cost of a couple lattes at Starbucks or going to a movie, and we're not we're not opposed to people going to movies um, or or ordering Starbucks. <laughs> <Even my best friends. laughs> order order a Starbucks and donate twenty bucks to us. <laughs> you know we we understand that you know twenty dollars is twenty dollars, but it's not just the entertainment value. It has this education component that really makes it not just a stunt, but an actual working science enterprise exploration. 
and education. So, speaking of education, I'm going to rattle on now for a couple of minutes, if that's sure. okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of different aspects to the education piece of the project, just like there's different phases of the project itself. Mm-hmm. And so those pieces basically are looking at primarily sending the experiments. That is our first and primary objective, is to send over 100 experiments. And the kinds of experiments that we can send can be of one of four types. They can be active experiments or passive experiments. Passive experiments are ones that don't use power of any kind, and active experiments do use power. So, for example, if you had a couple second graders or kindergartners and they wanted to send seeds in space and make a space garden, they could do that. And then it would be getting their parents and the community involved and maybe over the summer the community could get together and grow these seeds and grow a control group and actually do measurements and do real science. So kids as young as as kindergartners can actually be involved in this project, which is really kind of cool. Other projects that NASA does, or or even other companies that that try to do space-related projects, don't reach out to those those younger folk at all. Mm -hmm. And, And I have done this with students before. In my background, I have sent experiments aboard six space shuttles in nine suborbital rockets, and... We've flown experiments on the microgravity airplane, the, the so-called vomit comet, right. um, microgravity drop towers. So we have, uh, I have a lot of experience in, in doing this sort of thing. And so we want to share that and bring it around. We've done outreach programs where student experiments have been piggybacked on the other experiments. And, and this is all part of the whole outreach concept. So students... As even even younger kids can can do that. Active, I'm sorry, passive experiments are perfect for that. Maybe there's materials that that these kids want to look at to see how they react to the exposure of space itself, the radiation and the hot cold temperatures and the vacuum of space itself. So there'll be some components of our our spacecraft that will allow some of those materials to sit on the surface and experience those. Mm-hmm different environmental effects. And again, young kids can really get a lot out of it. And you get to the older kids, you know, they're going to want to maybe do a little bit more hands-on, maybe a little bit of robotic type stuff, maybe a little bit of medical or biological or chemical or whatever. So the active experiments use power, which means that they need maybe some data consumption or maybe some light or heat or They may need to turn a motor off and on or something like that. So there will be experiment opportunities inside that would be associated with the active experiments. And we have this really cool computer, eMind, the the computer that they were talking about just a little bit earlier that does cognitive computing. And that computer will be able to read some of the data and interact linguistically with the students and the teachers on the ground. So you might be able to say, how is experiment 23 doing? And it will tell you how it is doing and what it is doing. And you say, well, maybe I need to change this parameter and it will do that change for you. So it's a really sophisticated idea and we're going to try to make it really 
easy for the kids and the teachers to be able to do it. Because I know there's a lot of teachers out there going, you know, that are deer in the headlights in their eyes right now, you know, and they're like, this is intimidating. There is absolutely no way I can do this. And what we're trying to do is make it simple and easy so that they can do this with their kids. And, and, and that's another neat part. And then when you get up to the higher grade levels and you want to get into the college and university level kids, these are kids that are used to doing things like CubeSats and free flyers that go outside the ship. And we're going to have some of those, maybe chipsats, little small satellites as well as bigger ones. Um, CubeSats are 10 cubic centimeters on a side. So they really have the ability to you know, test larger things. But nowadays, when you're looking at CubeSats, you're looking at three cubes or four cubes, and I think they're even up to six cubes now. And that's also you know, a very dynamic model. So they're testing things, and proof of flight is, is very important because in order to be educated in flying things in space, you have to prove that you can fly things in space. Well, it's kind of like a catch-22. <laughs> you can't prove something to fly in space unless you fly it in space, but you can't fly it in space until you prove that it can fly in space. So <laughs> uh, what we want to be able to be is a testbed for some of those opportunities and, and technologies that let you have that proof of concept. So do it with us, and here's the key point. Students don't have to pay for any of it. They'll be able to fly these things for free. A lot of other companies that are out there trying to fly experiments, you, it costs you money or it costs the community money or school district money to be able to send their experiments. We're doing this for free, and that's part of what this $20 donation is for us. Uh, and that's really exciting, too, because now you, you don't have to worry about some of those you know, fundraising issues, and the kids can concentrate on learning the science and doing the STEM technologies. And we're also looking at not just doing science and math. We want kids and to understand that a path into space is also a path into lots of other things. We're going to need gardeners in space and artists in space and people that collect the garbage and people that you know do all different kinds of tasks that you normally have here on Earth. Because if we're going to live and work in space and we're going to settle in space, we can't just think about the science. We have to actually think about you know, the hotels and what are all the services that you have to give. So we need people to be able to understand and articulate and work with the, the ability and the necessity of, of making this all happen for real. So we want artists to try to create experiments that are art in space. Mechanically produced art would be very cool. Maybe we want to do some space business or space law because that's a really hot concept today if, if we're going to be living and working. So we're going to have competitions that range anywhere from history to art to science to music. Music is really cool. You can take the data that comes from the spacecraft uh, pressure, sensors, temperature, acceleration, 
assign that to different kinds of instruments and create a symphony. So we're going to have competitions that build on all of the art and music and science. And so we're not just doing STEM, we're actually going to STEAM technologies in, in what we do. And we want everybody to realize that this can be, you don't have to be a science kind of kid or even mm-hmm. guided towards science to be able to do it. So that's my rant. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I wanted to give you a breath because you kind of glossed over at a whole, oh, I oversaw experiments on the shuttle and I oversaw experiments on, you know, this many times and I oversaw experiments on this many, you know, suborbital rockets. I mean, Lynn, we call Lynn our superstar educator because she's won a jillion awards. She's like basically NASA's, I forget the actual name of it, but twice she's been honored by NASA as an educator, which no one else has. She's won presidential awards. She's She's done all this, and she's put a great team to to help her with this because it's not just the um, the running the contest, but it's this outreach to teachers and preparing material and and all that. So, I mean, you got a big taste there of why we're excited to. Uh, what are you calling that? The Enterprise Education Emissaries. Yes, yes. The teacher the teacher component is we're going to have a prestigious group of teachers that we're going to be calling the emissaries. And uh, just like an emissary, they're going to be going out and, and helping us do some really creative and neat things. So not just doing teacher workshops and professional development, but also being the rock stars of this project and, and being able to show their stuff and show other people how to do space science and art and music and humanity. It's just, it's just really cool. So, yeah, well, it humanizes and humanizes makes it local, and that's something we should say too. Is because we're trying, we, we need we're needing volunteers to help out with everything from like get in with the project and talk about it locally. We have mm-hmm. the National Space Society's support structure, and they have chapters everywhere. You know, they have state affiliates and and regional affiliates, and and people in other countries. I've spoken at some of the cons I've been to uh, in Germany and London, but that's just you know that's just scratching the surface. We're we're trying to have at least our homepage in several languages. We're getting there. And uh, because it is the world with it, we were talking about partnering with an Australian group. Uh, Sean can jump on that. But that's an aspect of this is that it is worldwide. And, mm-hmm. and what Lynn just jumped on real quickly there was like, I've, I keep learning new things, one of which is, yeah, these kids, and we say kids. We're talking about people in their 20s also. But, but people get into these competitions to get their projects, experiments, you know, research into orbit and then it's like, congratulations, you've won. Now pay. <laughs> and that's what. And I was like shocked. It was like, well, what kind of a oh, some prize, guys? Now where's your five, ten thousand, or whatever it is, or your school, or your town helping you? So that's one thing that's exciting to me that it really is that that this is a uh, no. And, and what are we talking about? Not only your your project can go, but you can, you know, we're trying to pay for kids, people to come to the launch and see it off. Mm. You know, so so this has the entertainment value of watching the rocket take the first Enterprise into orbit, and then it has this education component, and then we're covering STEAM, so we're trying to we're trying to really involve everybody, lay people to scientists, to rocket scientists, and, you know, how important space is to us in general, from our weather satellites to protecting ourselves from asteroids to eventually colonizing out onto Mars and the moon and then into deep space. And beyond! And beyond. <laughs> Well, the thing, the thing that's really kind of part of our engagement is I'm one of those people that comes from the Apollo era. 
And so I was really excited because we're going to go to the moon, all of the launches in space. It was a brand new thing. And that was really engaging to me. But, but kids today need a similar kind of engagement. And we're hoping that enterprise and, and getting everybody to participate in enterprise and to, to help us move it forward and become a part of it, a real part of it, will help bring back some of that excitement of space because I think in the US we tend to be a bit oversaturated with with space and space ideas mm-hmm. and you go to the third world and second world and first world countries out there that aren't super saturated and space is exciting to them and that's why a lot of times our kids are being surpassed by kids in other countries so we're trying to bring some of that excitement back but we're also trying to get that excitement and enthusiasm from the other countries here so that they can help our kids understand how cool this really is. We want worldwide engagement, and we want kids from our country to design experiments with kids from other countries and make it a truly global collaboration. That's like the attraction of all that science fiction, we, you know, Star Trek and on down the line. Part of that was always, you know, it's doable because we have a united Earth and we're not fighting each other, and that's part of the Roddenberry vision. And, you know, what better way than to bring everybody under one banner, you yeah. know, and not just have this be an American thing, but reach out and have every have the best of the best of all worlds. <laughs> so, it's, so it's international because that was another aspect of Roddenberry was, you know, his international thing, but even more so in the planet when we start uh, – you know, discovering aliens. <laughs> uh, but that was one thing about Star Trek where there wasn't racism or or that kind of thing in play. Because there were so many different kinds of species, you had to get along. You know, right. there, I mean, there's plots in Star Trek for Romulans <laughs> and, you know, little battles going on. But the peaceful aspect of the Federation. Going back to that just for a second, Rod, mm-hmm. uh, Gene Roddenberry and Mitchell Roddenberry were board of governors for the National Space Society and did a lot of PR promotion for space-related projects. They, they, they were governors on the board of governors. Yeah, <laughs> governors on the board of they governors. Weren't the entire as board as of- is Michelle Nichols and Hugh Downs and, and you know Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks and a number of other folks on our, on our governors. Stephen Colbert. Well, He's not that, a governor. Uh, we would governor, like him to be. <laughs> yeah, not a governor, but won the National Space Society for promoting space. Yeah, he won he won a, a media award for supporting space from from our organization, and he he did a really nice job in in getting it. You know who's who's honoring me now on on the Colbert show. So. We, we hope to get on his show at some point, and we, you know I've even thought of because he's there's a couple uh, items that have flown into space that they've called Colbert, you know, named after him. Uh, so I was sitting there thinking, okay, what can I think of on the ship that we can name the the Colbert Cam or um, because well, we're looking at some outboard cameras, so I you know went back to I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Silent Running with yes. Lewis and Lewis, uh, but I'm sitting there thinking, what could we name you know Colbert um, to get him involved? You know, <laughs> not that he wouldn't be involved anyway, but if you name something, he'd be you know a little bit more on the selfie part. Well, you know, I think I think he would just be excited to work with us because he's a visionary. And we want all the visionaries to be with us. So, you know, that and, you know, others. And and speaking of what, you know, the the whole volunteer thing is we really need, there's a lot of ways that people can get involved in enterprise and space. And one of those ways is to volunteer and help us. And there's lots of ways to do it, even locally. 
you, you know, just besides, you know, helping us with 20 bucks and, you know, mm -hmm. holidays are coming up, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean, know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, you can give the gift of, of flight to your family and friends. But the other thing is that the giving of yourself to the project is really important to us. We need people to go out and spread the word about space and to share. We want people to help mentor the students. We want people to help in designing and building the craft. We want all the ideas and we want all of those things. And, and I know, Larry, you can speak to this a lot better than I can. Well, I don't know if we can promise people they can help build it. We probably have to have a, <laughs> our, our whoever space board service. But no, it's true. Like, wherever people that are I mean, and, and it reminded me of something we were talking about, the you know, the, not just the science kids, but the kids across the spectrum. But even then you step back from that, and Sean was talking about how, you know, I, I was thinking too, back in, in Close Encounters, remember how the government had all the slick Ola test pilots all ready to go for the first encounter, you know, yes. guys trained? And the aliens didn't want the slick Ola government specially trained guys. They wanted the ordinary Joes that they had connected with telepathically. Right, mm -hmm. so we're going to need all the people from all walks. If we're going to live in space, it can't be super duper hyper government trained astronauts. It's going to be ordinary people for us to get, you know. And that's a long ways down the road, but we're taking those baby steps. So, in reflecting that, a yes, we've gone, we've opened this up to where it's all kinds of students across ages, across the disciplines. But then you step back. And you think, okay, well, it's all these forward-thinking, space-loving, sci-fi-loving, sci-fi-inspired people in every walk of life. Many, you know, some of them may have wanted to be a physics student or a doctor or an engineer. You know, like, like the actors are always talking about having people come up and say, oh, I'm a doctor because of you, DeForest Kelly, or I'm an engineer because of you, Jimmy Doom. But there's lots of people who are the gardeners and the laundromat clerks and, the, you know, who have no hope of getting on a rocket now. But they all wish they could be. They wish they could live in that future and just have all the ordinary people living in space because that's where people live. It's not because it's space. It's because that's just where people live. So Enterprise in Space, one of the beauties of it is, is Sean's idea of that virtual crew member. So no matter where you are, what your you know path in life is or what you think of the future, here's your chance to actually get to fly in space. And I, I just thought that was a very cool. The other cool thing to me real quick was and I'm here in L.A., and you all know, I, I mean, I, I didn't talk much, but I, I've been involved with Star Trek Continues, and I'm helping a lot of groups go. Uh, the Passenger, I'm trying to think now, everybody's going to yell at me because I'm not mentioning their group here, but there are so many. The uh, Red Shirt Diaries have their Indigo going down there. It's cute, guys. There's so many creative projects, Axanar, um, and that's all good, but sometimes I think we almost uh, go, there's a little bit of starter fatigue, and that's only because there's so many great ideas coming out. And uh, the, what I thought was brilliant about Sean's idea was, aside from just avoiding the hassle, there's mm. no, you know, like, ticking clock, although we need everybody to jump on it right now. But there's no, like, <laughs> oh, in 30 days. It's not like a glorified, you know, NPR and PBS telethon week kind of thing, you know. And, oh, and if you give this much, you'll get the DVD and the Blu-ray and the signed photo and the, you know. It's not any of that. It's just, hey, come aboard, do this. Everybody can afford it. Give more if you can. There's no law against that, and people have. But... You know, it's just a very small D democratic grassroots approach. No bureaucracy of Kickstarter, Indiegogo. You know, but and and you get some rewards. It's not about that. It's about just being a part of this. And 
the most grassroots thing about volunteering, like Lynn was saying, is we just need everybody to share the, you know, we've only been at this for two or three weeks as far as sharing it with the world. So you guys are helping. We just need everybody to like it. And, you know, the Facebook page, Enterprise in Space, and we have Enterprise Sat is the Twitter. And we're about to launch our own podcast. Chris, oh. Chris Jones with uh, Trek FM mm-hmm. and I are going to co-host our own podcast. And it won't just even be just about EIS and even the National Space Society will have just some really great science, technology, education-minded, future-looking people on that's excited. And it's the kind of awesome. thing that the project overall is going to reflect. So we'll, there'll be you know updates. The, the contest is going on to design the ship. We're having designs come in, and we want to spotlight those even if they don't win. You know, And, and when we and Lynn gets the education outreach cranked up, and we start having things selected. And it won't even just be one wave. It's like three waves, I think. But all of those kind of things are going to be exciting and share. And the more people who... Like Sean said, the more people who feel like they're part of it, it's not just one guy plunking down a million dollars. Although we wouldn't be opposed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in regards to uh, helping us doing a podcast, th- you know, there's a lot of projects out there that are me, 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 and we're not that way at all. You know, people can decide what they want to give their money to. We're just, you know, when I when I first started this, it was intimidating for sure. It still is. <laughs> um, you know, I still get butterflies in my stomach sometimes. Um, but when I first started it, even though the, the cost was high, I was able to go to sleep. So if you donate $20, you get to go to sleep at night going, I'm, I'm going to be part of putting the first Enterprise in orbit. I will be a virtual crew member of, of putting the first Enterprise in orbit. Um, or, you're, or you're giving Sean a sleeping pill. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that he can sleep at night. That would You'll be awesome. sleep better at night. I, I was just going to say, and, and – you know, when you go to our website, enterpriseinspace.org, when you go to our website, you'll see that the education pages right now are pretty lean. And the reason is because we're not formally going to launch the education program until May. And we're going to launch hmm. that in Toronto, Canada at the International Space Development Conference in May. So that's that's part of it and if you're interested in volunteering you know on our website you know contact us through through the links on our website in terms of being a volunteer or if you have any ideas and how you might help because that's really important to us too so I just wanted to put that little plug in there too oh and I'll say real quick one another aspect of volunteering we really need is as we build up our online community we have Facebook and our Twitter and some of the other channels we're going to get into we we can use people to help you know, because we want to, it, it's not just a one-way delivery system. Here's what's going on, bang. And and Sean is already putting up all kinds of links of cool science and future technology-related stories that are up there and people talking. So the more people get involved and, you know, get used to hanging out at the Enterprise in Space Facebook or watching our Twitter stream, you know, we, we're looking for some volunteers to, to get in with us get a, that are who are excited about the project and everything that it means that we've been talking about and help us, you know, talk, talk with them. Talk with the fans, talk with the donors, talk with our entire virtual crew around the planet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we could use those folks too. But like Lynn said, we can we have room for um, if somebody uh, has a skill. Uh, we we you know managers are great. Um, people who are in fundraising and development, those are great. Uh, but just people who are space 
fans. I mean, I, I tell this too. I was a NASA kid before I was a Star Trek fan. If you guys know my career, I, I go always go and blame or credit my ninth grade <laughs> science teacher for shaming me into watching Star Trek the first time. But I was in grade school when the, I'm like Lynn. I go back to the Apollo missions and then I had vague memories when I was little and I quickly got caught up on, you know, the original Mercury 7 and the Geminis and realized that's what, when my mom and dad had dropped everything and we all ran in the living room to watch a launch, you know, um, to make sure it got off okay. Uh, you know, whether it was like Gemini 7 or something. That was, you know, all those stepping stones, by the time the Apollos were going down, I was like doing bulletin boards for my my classrooms and my teachers would let me. So I would, you know, we were, I was doing that. So this is, in a way, helping Sean out and helping the team out is a little bit like finally going back full circle to, to being a kid again. And, um, and uh, like Lynn was saying, have something that you're vested in that's part of your time and your era. Because it was, it was disappointing for the Apollos to end and think, oh, we're just, I mean, people hated to see the shuttle end, which was yeah, great, I, because I remember when it started, everybody was like, well, this is like the space truck. This isn't near as glamorous as going to the moon. Why are we going to Mars? You know, and there was this, like, downer feeling, but over the years, and then, you know, triumph and tragedy, everybody got invested with the shuttle and, and the role that it was playing, but now it's time to move on. Right. <laughs> yeah, and Aaron and I are from the generation where we grew up with the space shuttle, mm-hmm. and... I can't speak for Aaron, but when the space shuttle program ended, that was that was heartbreaking. That was oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's something that you know we'll never have again. And at the same time, it's exciting for these new prospects that are on the horizon, like Enterprise in space. And it's something that we can all get excited about and invested in for our future. Yes, our our ancestors. You know, it's partly being good ancestors. You know, and not just sucking up everything and leaving nothing. That we're actually progressive and work towards. You know, we're not going to the moon or Mars. Although I looked into that, <laughs> um, but some of the technologies that we'll be using will help future missions to go to the moon and Mars. Three mm-hmm. D printing, the laser technologies, all of those things are test beds for manned flights to Mars. Right. Human flights to Mars, and the sky is not the limit anymore. So, uh, you know, another aspect of this is is the social media aspect, which you guys are involved in doing podcasts because of how big of a social media project this is. So, it, so uh, going back to the volunteers for a minute, social media volunteers, engineers, art people. You know, if you on our board of advisors, we have Adam Howard, we have Tobias Richter, we have Andrew Probert. I'll, I'll tell you a couple of as, – as Star Trek guys, you're going to love this. Andrew uh, Probert told me that they had some NASA scientists come into the set, to the TNG set. And every he said everybody that come used to come into the set wanted their picture taken in the captain's chair. And so these two guys came in, and they were wearing white lab coats. And he goes – you know, the it wasn't him, but here, sit in the captain's chair. We'll take your pictures. And they go, no, no, no. We don't want our pictures taken in the captain's chair. We want our pictures taken at the warp co- coil. <laughs> <laughs> and there were actually two NASA scientists working on warp drive, the the you know conceptual idea of warp drive. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, so wow. here, these two guys, you know, from NASA are like, no, we don't want to be in the captain's chair. We want to see that warp drive. <laughs> um, then a then a conceptual space firm that I'm working with. I was working with him a year before he told me this. He goes, one of the questions in our interviews is, who's your favorite Star Trek captain? And it wasn't specifically the person. It was the captain's personality themselves. If it was they were more risky, if it was Picard, they were more reserved. So here's all these aerospace companies using Star Trek questions or who's your favorite captain. 
or how involved a, a lot of people, our project manager is definitely connected. You know, really, Star Trek has ta- touched all of our hearts yeah. um, in our imagination, in our curiosity, in our science. So we have a lot of people that are majorly invested from what Star Trek did in their lives later down the line. Um, but it's amazing how we are, you know, working with a lot of the space firms, how they talk about this. We were talking to some engineers at Boeing's Phantom Works, and one of the engineers heard about it, and he goes, well, I'm really busy. And then the next day he said, I'm really interested in this. And by the end, like 20 of the 30 engineers there in three days were like, we want to be part of this. So it's just the spa- how much this has influenced this, the actual space community. That's awesome. Yeah, the legacy of yeah. Star Trek and science fiction. Yeah, yeah and it's no. We, I got to. I was lucky enough to be in Houston, and our our information tech manager, uh, Johnny Steverson's in Houston, and he arranged a VIP tour for us. And we went around, and our tour guide said the common denominator is it's like you cannot find a person working at NASA who is not a big Trek fan. And it's not just to, oh they're all science you know five geeks nerds but that's what in, that's what their natural bent was it just happened to be Star Trek is like the biggest you know and of all the sci-fi Star Trek is the one you know, as opposed to Star Wars or something or whatever. Star Trek is the one that makes it a point to say this is our it's not a you know it's not a galaxy far far away a long time ago it's us mm-hmm. into space it's our timeline when when Kirk or Picard go on a historical rant to compare something for the audience they go you know Kirk would do one of those like Caesar Hitler Lee Kwan you know blah blah you know and they would always go do that go back into history and push it forward to make it you know to explain it for the audience and so it's that's hammered over and over it's 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 that's part of what makes I think Star Trek so attractive is that it's us it's not some other fictional thing and, you know, from us, and it's the biggest framework. I mean, lots of movies and obviously movies and novels and things have done that, but it's the most comprehensive network, and people can you know latch on and write movies and shows and games and fan fiction and whatever else they want to be invested in. So, but that 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 is so true. There's always been this NASA Star Trek mutual admiration society, and they come and visit the sets, like like Sean was saying, like Stephen Hawking, who's not NASA NASA, but you know came over and had his picture taken in front of the Warp Corps too. But mm-hmm. um, when he when he did his cameo in Next Generation, but right. you know this mutual or, or Star Trek people go and visit. You know, beginning with the original series, there's pictures of Gene and Dee and Jimmy visiting NASA facilities in the '60s. It was you know part PR for the show, but it was interesting to do, and and it's been there from the beginning. And you know, and they, they get together, and the NASA guys go, "Oh, we just love your show," and the people go, "Oh, we're just TV people. We love you. You're real life." You know, no, 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 we love you more. No, no, we love you more. <laughs> And and it's and they know that each other, like the NASA people, know that thanks to Star Trek and science fiction, they've reached beyond just the old original, you know, fifties, you know, make a crystal radio set at home space science geeks. I mean, it's it's helped broaden the message and get people to think about the future. And so, you know, but that's where those people came from. So it's hard to go to, to go around NASA, any NASA installation, or any of these emerging private companies, and find people who aren't. You know, inspired. You know, the guys that designed the. You know, we used to always talk about cell phones. Oh, looks good. Well, now we've got them designing tricorders. We've got. You know, what else is being designed that they just subconsciously are following the Star Trek space uh, design? It. You know, it's just. It, it, it is what it is. It's, you know? it's bringing it to real life. I'm I'm a I'm a Star Wars fan too, but Star Wars was more about the the prince and the you know the good and evil. Uh, right. The bad empire versus the good empire. In that regard, the people um, who budget for NASA versus the people who won't budget for NASA. <laughs> 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 but, 
That's great. And actually, that goes back to part of when I started this project in, you know, the George Bernard Shaw quote, and I'm going to shorten it. But some people see things and say, why? And then other people see things and say, why not? We're looking for the people that say, why not? Why not donate 20 bucks and put the first Enterprise into orbit? But on the on the Star Wars aspect, it was, you know, good versus evil kind of. And I don't know if you guys saw the White House petition to build the Death Star. Did you guys see that? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was hilarious. You know, when the government came back, we're not in the we're not in the business of blowing up planets. Um, <laughs> but more science has come out of Star Trek, probably building teleportation communicators. It was more of a science show, and Gene was you know very interested in having some of the science accurate. Maybe not explosions in space at the time or something like that, but but way more into having some science background to the show that it, you know that it was investigating. They were on a five year mission to investigate out there. Well, they took. He wanted to treat the audience as they were in, in, intelligently, both the way they told the story and then the background for the stories. Right. Like he said, you know, if you're not, if you don't really believe that one week we turn this corner and the bathroom is down there or the closet's down there, and then two weeks later we turn that corner and it's something different in the same room. If you do that to your audience, then they're not going to believe anything else about your show. You right. Know? So, yeah, but then it, it extends to always having a science advisor, you know, from day one. And um, that's just that's just where Star Trek comes from. So it's it's annoying to the writers sometimes, but but then you have like Michael Quinn and Rick Sternbach when they started Next Generation. Part of the writer's guide was pages and pages of here are some really true life science phenomena that can be exciting story elements and they be true science. So you know a lot of which got used. So anyway, we could go on about this all day. But <laughs> you, know, you know, another aspect of this is. There, unbelievably, there's people out there that are not science fiction fans. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe, but it's like, what? How can you not have imagination there, you know, of the future kind of thing? Oh, um, damn. You, know, you say that now, they're all clicking off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's actually people out there like that. So if you're not a science fiction fan, and you should be, this has the science component to it that would bring those people in on the actual real science. Actually, I have an educator on my team who is, is not, has, like, no interest in idea or anything about Star Trek, never <laughs> even saw an episode. I don't think she ever saw a single episode. But the thing that excited her about the whole Enterprise in Space project was the education piece, and she goes, I really like being able to take in the kids and make them understand stuff. And she goes, and this is one way to make them understand stuff. And I think that's what's cool about this. So, you know, she's and she's invested, completely vested in this project just for that purpose. Yeah, we have under Lynn's uh, education program deputy, we have people that work at Yerkes Observatory and also on Sloan Digital Sky Survey. So they're actually mapping, mapping the universe. Mm-hmm. And Yerkes there have fab labs there to put experiments you know, to work up experiments for space. And Lynn, it's the oldest telos- or observatory in the States. Is that right? Um, Yerkes Observatory is the world's largest refracting telescope. And so refracting means that it has lenses instead of mirrors, and it is still the, the world's largest. Um, after it was built, really, telescopes started to become mirrors. And um, so it's it's a beautiful facility, and, and the folks there are absolutely phenomenal in terms of what they do with outreach and education, too. And let them know briefly here for a second about the coding, what we're looking at possibly in putting the LEDs or reflective material on the ship. 
Oh, so one of the competitions that we're, we're thinking about doing is, you know, Morse code has gone away, and, mm-hmm. you know, ham radio operators are out there. So we, we really want to bring some of that stuff back to life. So we're thinking about putting a mirror that is uh, attenuated, which means that we can rotate it and, and move it about and flash it. If you think of the old westerns, when they had a mirror to make a signal off in the distance, you know, to the right. other cowboy somewhere else. So we're thinking about putting some mirrors on board the, the Enterprise and shine from the sun, reflect light from the sun down to Earth to specific spots using GPS systems and put out secret messages to students and then have the students decode those messages in Morse code and type them into the computer and, you know, maybe do some sorts of uh, um, scavenger hunts or other things like that associated with it and just, you know, being able to send messages to each other. And I, that would be really cool. Send messages to the other side of the world. That would be neat. And if, if we do uh, certain reflective material on it, we would have on our website, you know, that it's flying over your hometown. You might be able to go out and, and see it go over like the station. Right. Hopefully we're not overwhelming you. <laughs> we get very excited about this, and, and there's so much to it, like we were saying, on spinoffs and everything. Hopefully we're not overwhelming you with too much of the of the no, science or anything. It's fascinating, and it, it's one of those things that's you know getting me excited about the future, and I really like the grassroots uh, that anyone can be a part of this. I think that's what we need to do for more space projects in the future uh, to come together as a society and as a planet. We we talked about we talked about in our fundraising doing ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could be an admiral or you could be a captain. And I uh, I wasn't opposed to that completely, but I was thinking more. Hey, if every everybody should be equal, right? You know, so if we were raising funds and you were you paid a thousand dollars to be an admiral or something, I just want to keep everybody equal on the playing field. Everybody is a virtual crew member. Maybe I'm the captain as the founder. <laughs> 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 but hey, I can make anybody the captain. So, <laughs> um, so we really want to keep it equal. You know, everybody's equal on this playing field. That's but awesome. the benefits will be different for different donors, right? Yeah. Yes. There can. There's different. There will be different benefits as we move forward. Where you know you're a virtual crew member, but we might add something that like might like the video, like, yeah, like the, the video. video. Yeah, the wave window. Uh, yeah, so the wave window. Yeah. We have to be realistic about you know raising the the funds for the project as well. Mm-hmm. So where can people uh, donate if they do want to donate? On the enterpriseinspace.org. Join the crew? Yes, join the crew, become a virtual crew member. And go to sleep at night knowing you're going to be a virtual crew member of the first enterprise in orbit. Yes. (laughs) Um, You can go to enterpriseinspace.org is the website. All right. And you can uh, join our Facebook page to see our updates and press releases and... We post a lot of space-related new advances or projects that are going on. I think it's Wednesday. Um, they're going to you know, land on the Rosetta. Well, I might have that wrong. I don't want to jump the gun there. Uh, I'm so busy on this space, space project, I'm having a hard time keeping up on all the other ones. I think they're scheduled to land uh, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. That would be Wednesday. You were right. 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 Oh, no, that would be Wednesday. 
I, I stopped for a minute because I wasn't sure if they were exactly <laughs> landing on it or if they were just going right down almost to the surface. I, I For a second there, I couldn't remember. And we also have a Twitter feed as well. Yeah, I mentioned that a, a while ago, but it's good to come back around. It's inter, it's just Enterprise Sat, as in like satellite. Thanks, guys, for, for having us on, and I hope we hadn't worn you out. But here, here's, here's to, with all this information we've laid on the table, just to kind of reel it back in a little bit, mm -hmm. basically what's happening is We've launched the whole thing. The first order of business is to have the design contest, and I think I hope somebody mentioned you'll you'll see that when you look at the page for that. All the you know there's a page for designs, there's a page for the volunteering, there's a page for obviously donating, there's a page for all the different aspects, and and it'll flesh out as we go along. But basically, we have the design contest, so we can start fabricating that uh, first, and then uh, Lynn's crew starts rolling out the the outreach, and then runs the contest for that. Later on, once we have the orbiter, mm -hmm. and it'll be it'll ha you know it have to be space worthy. We want people to go out there with a design, but it'll have to be shrouded on the rocket, and it'll have to re-enter. So mm -hmm. there'll have to be some space you know space worthiness put into the design. But we'll try to be true to the artist's design if they didn't really think about that. You know, we, we're trying not to limit anybody. We're trying to say, hey, go for it first, and we'll come back to that. But yeah, after so, we have the orbiter, we we have plans for like a mission design logo contest. You know, to no. make a patch for. We'll eventually have some T-shirts and mugs, and you know, and and some basic merchandise to help out with that too, for people who want to spread the word that way too. On our on our mission patch design competition, we have a famous guy, Tim Gagnon, who's designed a bunch of beautiful patches for NASA as one of our judges. Very cool. Yeah, I'm I, I'm a graphic designer by trade, so design contests that really gets me going. So a ship. If you have a ship yeah. design, submit a ship. And and you know we didn't uh, we didn't want to limit it just to space engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, the conceptual design firm we're working with are pretty good at, pretty. Go ahead, Larry. Sorry. I said, or even CGI guys, space yeah. artists. The, the firm that we're working with, we might have to modify a design for specific reasons, but we'll try to stay as true to that as possible. And the design yeah. contest, uh, the due date for that is December 8th. So you got to get your design in by December 8th. So Eric, start start get cracking on that. <laughs> then, then, your ship, then your ship design will go to a conceptual design firm, and they, they'll take it and work up the avionics package, the communi communications package, the thrusters, mm -hmm. uh, because it has to stay you know, controlled in orbit. Right. Uh, they'll, they'll work up the heat shielding, so then we'll have uh, physical blueprints that we take to a prime contractor to build such as Boeing, Lockheed Martin, or there's a bunch of different uh, firms out there. Very nice. Yeah. You guys, well, you guys have any questions? In you know, or have we wiped you out? Or, no, we... no, we we had a list of questions, and you guys went through like every single one of them before we really could ask them. <laughs> you you covered everything. You like to be thorough. Go ahead, Larry. Did you have something? I said it was more like before we gave you a chance to ask them. But... <laughs> right. oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know everybody's a little excited about this. I think you can. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Aaron's excited, and that's why we invite you guys on because I, I think it's a fantastic project. Yeah. I, we highly appreciate that. Um, and that, again, goes back to the people that say, why or why not? You know, in the four years that I've been doing this, there's only been one person that was kind of like – um, a little out of it, or you know, not as on board. And he's actually a friend of Larry's, and he said, "Well, once he learns a little bit more about it, he'll be on board with us." <laughs> so, in the four years that I've been dealing with people, there's been very little, almost no negativity. Mm -hmm. 
Well, uh, it's a tall, it's still a tall mountain to climb. We need everybody to jump in. Like I said, I said it's not like a Kickstarter where it's like you know five days to go, forty eight hours. <laughs> hurry, we gotta get you know you know how they go, right? We're at eighty nine percent, and we need a little, you know. I mean, in a way, that's great, but then it can also throw people because that, if nothing else, that does keep you know the, I'd say the pressure on. We don't want to be too laid back because we do need, you know, we we've got we, we the there's a the, our project managers have that flow chart of boxes, and if this thing is going to be in four years, we need to get, you know, we're not in toy field where we need to have the sculpt of the action figure done in time to sculpt it. You know, it has to be a year and a half so we can get it to China and back so we can get it out for Christmas. <laughs> I mean, that's the toy version of what we're doing, which is we got to get the ship designed to get it fabricated to get it, you know, so we can load the science on it because that's. You heard Lynn talking about how integrated the science is going to be with the capsule. You know, a hundred things, and if they're all going to be remote controlled with our incredible e-mind, you know, that's all going to take some time. And so it's all very professionally, competently, you know, laid out. So we we need everybody to jump on now, though. Yeah, we want to get rolling and stay rolling. (laughs) No. There, there's things we have to deal with, like the FAA. For you know, uh, we have to deal with flight insurance. We have to deal with liabilities issues. We have to deal with uh, uh, something called ITAR, which is the State Department. Um, and I'll tell you something a little funny on that one. I called Homeland Security, thinking that they were the ones at the time involved in ITAR. ITAR controls technology ar- around the globe, so so uh, certain countries don't get like certain high technology from us. For different reasons. Right. So I called Homeland Security and they go, well, we're not the ones that do that. And I'm kind of like, you, you guys aren't the ones that are like watching for things coming in out of the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> Basically that you're not sharing state-of-the-art technology with certain countries. I see. Wow. Just something, <laughs> just technical stuff you have to go through. Well, like you said, the, you've got mounds of paperwork that can fill a room. Oh my God! So, <laughs> so that we shrunk the computers. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, we could have mounds of paperwork that would fill a room, and that's not the you know fifteen hour phone calls every day um, for the last four years. So you know, work what? Th- think think of this. Think of yourself starting a space project, and then how much work that would be. Uh, and, and that's how much work that would be. Until you really start getting into it, you start learning, oh, wow. Well, what uh, I always tell my kids when it comes to designing something, I said, however long you think it's going to take, multiply by two and add three, because it's going to take <laughs> that much longer. And it won't work the first time either. So when, you know, when I think about, like, painting in my house or something like that, I think, oh, I can just wipe that out in a day, and it takes three days to do it. <laughs> uh, and that's painting, not rocket science. So, <laughs> But really cool is how many people we've gotten, you know, involved in the space community and stuff that are just, you know, getting Buzz Aldrin's endorsement was a big one to us. Getting Rod Roddenberry's was really big to us. Hugh Downs, Nichelle Nichols. We're just thrilled to have those people. We've had some more. We had, uh, we've barely gone after that, but uh, John Billingsley, uh, Manu Interamey, um, and we scratched the surface. We hadn't even, you know, really, we had to have the website up and going and have it something to point to, and that's only been the last month. So uh, after all the deep, deep planning (laughs) was going on, you know. That that was a big issue with me in the beginning of this project was okay, I have this idea, but I'm gonna catch twenty two because I can't call sponsors or corporations or even have a website to point to to drum support. So I dr- got that support just by doing the phone calls and saying, Hey, we can do this. 
you know, technology-wise, it's all doable. It's right. whether the people themselves say, yes, why not? Yeah, the, nothing on this is ground. I mean, we're talking about testing some new technologies, but the basic thing of getting a payload, I mean, that's all pretty doable. We've been doing that for 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> most years. of that stuff, because we want the ship to be successful in space, most of that stuff is off-the-shelf, flight-tested material. The only thing that is the most technology-advanced-wise other than some of the experiments Leno put in, is the heat shielding material. Yeah, I was going to oh, say that. E-Mind is, is more advanced. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of paradigm-shifting yeah. ideas here. Some of the education pieces are paradigm-shifting. The E-Mind is the cognitive computing and some of the Balut technologies and some of the other reentry technologies. I mean, there's a lot of cutting-edge stuff, and that's what we really are shooting for is to make this just not the norm, but something that is really going to change the way the world looks at stuff. Right, yes. and, I, and I need to change what I've been saying. I, I was saying there for a while that the most paradigm, the, the most uh, ground shifting part of this might just be the fact we're trying to do it on such a grassroots level. Yeah, but but Lynn is exactly right there. The e mind alone, much less some of the things that are. And between now and four years, uh, I mean, we keep hearing from people who have you know, ideas they're sitting down to, to start developing and within a year or two or three would like to partner with us. And that's going to keep happening. Yeah, and, and that's really cool because eMind came to us and they've got this really cool idea and, and they've got a patent on it and it's, it's real. And, you know, we want others to come to us too because we're willing and we're listening and, you know, we're, we're not going to say no right away. we well, right away, <laughs> we're not. Well, hopefully, we won't say no at all. But you know, the the ideas are let's try it. I mean, nothing is is not too far out of the box for us to be excited about and try because that's what the whole concept of being visionary is: is to, to think outside the box. Yeah, a, another quote from Walter von Braun was: "I've learned to use the word impossible very, very carefully." The Z-Mind computer, by the way, is called Enterprise Mind. And that was well, that was just a coincidence, a happy coincidence. And one of the one of the space companies we were working with has Enterprise in their title as well, <laughs> and that was a coincidence. Uh, not just the Enterprise ships, but enterprising endeavors. The word Enterprise as a noun. Mm -hmm. Risk is our business. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this is a, a great project, and we're very excited about it, and we can't wait to get the word out. We highly appreciate that. And uh, we thank you all for joining us today. My pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure yeah. too. Our pleasure. Thanks, guys. I haven't been on your show before, but this has been a great time. Well, we'd love to come back and give you some updates as we go along in a few months. Most yeah. definitely, yeah. for definitely. sure. Yeah. Yep. And, That'd be awesome. You know, reach out to us, and we're about networking, and, uh, you know, we'll do some promotion with you guys, have you guys come on our shows, and, you know, network. It's what it's about. Most definitely. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfxkpod.com.
This has been another proud production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You want to see more shows, go check out www.fouridradio.com, you winkers.